0: we look into God's word, I want to give him glory through a living epistle, who when I shook her hand this morning, she said, I came to church so that you can see what a miracle looks like. This past week, Sister Nanette Butler had a surgery to remove a growth that was in her head near her brain. And it was not cancerous, but anytime they have to go in to your head, that's serious. And so some fluid had developed around it and they went in and because God is so good, the surgery was an hour less than what they expected it was going to be. Amen. And she got out and they not only dismissed her, I want to say the surgery was Thursday, they not only dismissed her, but she's in church this morning and she's sitting right here on the front door. Our deaconesses, who's married to our deacon Jesse. Thank God for them. But while we're calling out glory, thank God for Maritha Sowell's mom. She had a little fall a couple of weeks ago, but she's all right and she's in church today. Amen. Amen. And then Sharon Donahue had a surgery. Uh, about 10 days ago. Sharon, where are you? She's in church today. He's able, he's so able. And uh, today is the last Sunday for a family that has been instrumental to our growth. Uh, They're going to Oklahoma. Uh, Jonathan and Janelle Boston, are you in the house today? Janelle, all right, can y'all stand up, please? Can y'all stand up? This is their last Sunday. Today is an emotional Sunday. y'all. Why don't you tell everybody what's happening, homeboy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, oh, I'm ready. Uh, uh, I don't know. If, yeah. uh, so we're moving to Oklahoma. Um, I moved here from Oklahoma uh, for, uh, about seven years ago. Um, so people, they ask why we're leaving. Um, first question, oh, you got a new job? I was like, no, I'll, I'll still be working. Same company. You know, oh, you're closer to family. Uh, we're leaving her parents a little bit closer to mine. and And so it becomes hard because when you, you know, what do you say other than we believe that's what God wants us to do? Um, you know, how he brought it about, you know, uh, I have just really good friendships there. People that invested in me, um, discipled me through college, and and um, had an old pastor a friend who said, hey, come on down. And he's always trying to get me to move and stuff. Um, but just this time, it resonated, and and. And God had just been preparing us to go and had told us to be ready to go. And when it happened, it happened fast. And so uh, this is our last Sunday. This has just been a really uh, a really good time of, of us growing together, us growing um, individually um, of who God wants us to be and then using each other, uh, God using us to encourage us and grow us. And, and so it's been a really good time. Just remember the first Sunday we came and... Just so many things God said, this is where I want you. Um, just from the very beginning, God was saying, this is where I want you. And so so we're, we're sad to leave, um, bittersweet, but um, Strong Tires has just been a really great place for us, and, and, and we'll miss y'all. But we'll be back, but, yeah, I don't know. Amen. We're excited about what God's doing. All right. <laughs> uh,
2: he's looking at me like, oh, do you want the mic? I'm like, no, not really. But... <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, yes, echo everything he said, Um, just pray for us. We feel like this season, I mean, we feel like it's a preparation season. I mean, when I think of Oklahoma, I don't think, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pray for me. (laughs) Oh, man. so i'm like lord please let the next move be to hawaii or you know california or something. or maybe back to back to nashville if the traffic will get better lord but uh but yeah we love y'all um thank you for being such an amazing support we're gonna miss the diversity a lot so y'all be praying for that i mean i was like there's gonna be a bunch of white people at and that bothers me more than it bothers him and so um But it's okay. We're all the body of Christ. And, um, yeah, so we just uh, love y'all. Pray for us. And
0: I'll pray right now. (laughs) Father, thank you for the Boston family. Thank you for what they mean to you. And thank you for sharing them with us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to grow together. Thank you for how they've served you in this body. Thank you, Lord, for how they've stepped up in ways that they would be—they uh, would not appreciate it if I told the church the things that they have done behind closed doors to help this church. I thank you for their servant's heart. And it's only because of you, Jesus. So as they go, we bless them as they go, just as blessed as when they came in. So, Lord, I pray, thank you for the church that they're going to be connected with. Bless the work there. Use them. Thank you for this time of preparation. Thank you for expanding your diverse kingdom through your people. Now meet their every need according to your riches and glory. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. i going to miss you all. <laughs> uh, I got a couple computer questions. Now, is anybody else leaving that I don't know about? <laughs> right? right. Romans chapter
1: 13.
0: Romans chapter 13. Now, Lord, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer in whose name I pray. Amen. Models on a runway are trained to walk. If you are a model, whether you are a man or a woman, the key to your ability to model is not just what your glossy picture looks like. But it's what you can do in public when the catwalk is there and you must walk. Your ability to walk as a model has great bearings on whether or not people will buy what you are modeling. Because if you don't kill the walk, they just might not buy What your model. The model is walking and they've trained and they've practiced the walk so that you might see the walk and then see the clothes that they're walking in so that people sitting in the audience will either invest in the company or buy the actual clothes that the models are representing. I just stopped by this morning to let all of you who claim the name of Jesus know that you are God's models. And the world is the runway. And the world is watching how we walk. Because if we can walk right, uh, if we can walk in such a way that will make people look at us and see our Father in heaven, They just might want to buy into what we're dressed in. They just might want to buy into the kingdom that we represent. So we are modeling for God and the world is watching. Romans chapter 13 lets us know that as models for the Lord, as representatives of his kingdom, it's time to walk right. It's time to walk right because if you don't have the walk right as a model, then you will be ineffective as a model. And for believers, if we don't have the walk right, we will be ineffective in modeling the kingdom to the world. So it's always time to work on our walk. Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 11, and Paul writes... And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about, it's time, it's time to make a change, it's time Because Jesus is one day closer to returning than he was yesterday. And he expects for his body to not only be looking for him, but he also expects for us to be looking like him. So last week we spent time talking about it's time to get sanctified from verse 12. Where Paul says we need to cast off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And we talked last week about how sanctification means that we are set apart. God sets us apart positionally, and we are to set ourselves apart by how we live practically. And so sanctification is turning from darkness and turning to light. It's turning from unrighteousness and turning to righteousness. It's an intentional act to be godly with the help of the Spirit who motivates us to want to be godly. And as we yield to him and as we submit to him, the fruit of the Spirit will naturally cluster in our lives. We don't want to resist him. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to quench him. But as we'll see today, we want to walk in him, walk with him. And transformation occurs through our lives. So we talked last week about sometimes we just have to picture ourselves putting on the armor of light, putting on humility, putting on love, putting on grace, and literally taking some things off in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about laying aside every sin and the weight that so easily entangles us so that we can run with endurance the race that is set out for us. Each one of us has a race that we're running. And God has called us to drop as many of these impediments, these things that will slow us down. And it's not always just things we do, but many times it's things that we think, false things that we believe, which is why we must have the mind transformed and renewed continually that we may live the good and perfect will that God has called for us. So we looked last week at the importance of being sanctified because Paul said Jesus is coming and he is looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. He is coming back for a bride who lives up to what she has attained. What has she attained? She's attained imputed righteousness. Jesus put righteousness in all of our bank accounts when we trusted him by faith. So he put righteousness in our account. He justified us, made us right with God by faith. But he also expects us to live like who we are, to be holy people, a chosen people, a peculiar people, set apart in this world, but not of this world. Yes, citizens of America, but above all, citizens of heaven. We've been born from above, so we should look like it down below. So he's calling us to step our game up and live like who we are and whose we are. So Paul doesn't leave it alone right there. He says in verse 13, not only should you be sanctified, you got to walk right, which is proof of the sanctification. He says in verse 13, let us. So the preacher is saying, I'm just not saying let y'all. He's saying let us because I'm held accountable as well. Let us walk properly as in the day. So if you can walk properly, that also means you can walk improperly. But walking improperly, is not to be a characteristic of someone who claims to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible reads, He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Did you taste the Kool-Aid? Is this your flavor this morning? The Bible says that if we are in Christ, if we claim it, then we ought to conduct ourselves, walk, live the same way that Jesus walked and lived. Because he is the teacher. He is the rabbi. And not only are we listening to his instructions to guide our lives, but we're following his example as well to guide our lives. Because Jesus said when he called his disciples, he said to them, follow me. In other words, get behind me so that you can hear me and watch me. Because if you watch me, you'll be able to imitate me. And you'll be able to do all the things that I'm commanding you because you have watched me do it. Therefore, if somebody is following you, you make sure you're following me as they're following you. Because we're learning by example. So Jesus would say, follow me. Because if you follow me, you'll watch me. If you watch me, you'll imitate me. And if you imitate me, you'll make disciples unto me. That's what we're here for, following Christ. Now, when I was growing up, I used to follow and imitate a lot of people. It's the highest form of flattery, they say. Well, I in, imitated this guy named MJ quite a bit. Yeah, MJ, MJ, MJ. Uh, 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 and every now and then, I ain't talking about that MJ. I'm talking about the MJ that could moonwalk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go to a party, and they put on It or Billie Jean. Everybody in there who's trying to be cool would hear those songs. And based on what Michael did on MTV back in the day, we're trying to do all the dance steps that Michael did. We're doing Thriller. We're doing all that stuff. We're imitating him. Imitating MJ. Trying to moonwalk and everything. Because if you watch somebody long enough, you'll imitate their moves. At least you'll try to, you know, recreate them in your own way. You know you ain't moonwalking. Your stuff ain't right. You just picking up and moving. You ain't moonwalking for real. But you trying. But Brother Cleon, since you want to help me on the front row, there was another MJ I also would imitate. Because you remember on the basketball court when I would imitate Michael Jordan. You know, I couldn't, you know, fly as high as he could. But I tried to wear shoes. And the ones I couldn't afford, I bought knockoffs. Uh, I wore my, 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 my shorts baggy. Uh, put a little knee bandage, then pull it all the way up, left it on my calf, trying to be like Mike. Bought Gatorade and drank it like Mike. Sang the songs like Mike. I, I even tried to get a jersey, number 23. I, I played with my tongue out. I, I didn't shave my head, but I wanted to be like MJ Now my game, you know, it was all right, but it wasn't on that level, you know what I'm saying? But 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 I imitated MJ, but I don't no longer imitate either one of them MJ's. I imitate CJ Christ Jesus up in here. That's who I'm trying to imitate now. I want to walk like him. I want to talk like him. I want to pray like him. I want to serve like him. I want to reach people like him. I want to preach like him. I want to be close to the Father like him. I want to be like CJ. And the Holy Spirit is my helper to make sure we accomplish that goal here and even when we get to heaven. Because as we said last week, The spirit is conforming me to the image of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul would often use this term walk to signify one's lifestyle or conduct. That's how he would use it. He used it in Romans 6-4 when he says, we've been raised to walk in newness of life. He used it in 2 Corinthians 5-7 where he says, we don't walk by sight. But we walk by faith. We conduct ourselves by faith as people of faith. He says in Galatians five sixteen to walk in the spirit. And we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Next week, we'll conclude this series, Lord willing, on the monster of the flesh. We'll deal with the flesh next week. But then Paul also said in Ephesians 2, 2, he says, that was a way we used to walk. We used to walk as sons of disobedience. We used to be that way, but we've been translated out of that kingdom of darkness and into another kingdom called light. Our nature has been changed. The old is past, and behold, everything be- keeps on becoming new. And if I was in the old-time church, the way they broke down all that theology from Paul, they made it real simple. They would say in the old church, places I used to go I don't go no more things I used to say I don't what not more mo. I don't say no more people I used to hang out with I don't hang out with no more things I used to drink somebody said wait a minute pastor Uh, I don't drink no more Things I used to smoke, I don't smoke no more. People I used to touch, I don't touch no more. Things I used to watch, used to, used to, sanctification, walk right. The things I used to watch because Jesus is changing me, I don't watch no more. Yeah, I'm a model, and people are watching me. And if you keep on modeling, every model from Tyra Banks to whomever, every now and then, they fall. Every model trips and stumbles, but the best models do not stay down when they trip and fall. They get back up because they're representing a company whose clothes that they're wearing, and they have to immediately overcome what caused them to slip. But I don't know too many models that say, I'm going to go out here and trip on purpose. No, they're slipping by accident. And it speaks of our heart as people who model the kingdom of God. I don't want to fall, but I do fall. I do trip. And it's just another way out of humility because I'm praying for brokenness, and sometimes he will use my failures to communicate the gospel to people who don't know Jesus so that they can see that people who know Jesus aren't perfect, but they trust in the perfect one who picks up those of us who fall. So I'm not perfect. I fall, but I don't want to fall. Paul often made lists of sins. You see it in Colossians and in Ephesians and in Romans, and we see a list here in verse 14. Now, he's going to list six sins, and we're going to cover each one of these six sins today, but the way he does it is that he puts them in couplets, meaning that he's going to put these sins two by two, so there are three sets of sins that he's going to list in couplet form because these kind of sins oftentimes go together. So I want you to go with me and look at these things, at these sins, so that we can take inventory, so that we can walk right. We want to walk right. So the first couplet we're going to look at according to verse 14, or 13 rather, is let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. So the first couplet is revelry and drunkenness and drunkenness. These sins are listed together in Galatians 5:21 and in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 3. Revelry in the Greek literally means group mischief, revelry, group mischief. This is when a group carouses together. This is when a group has a wild party together. This speaks of even an orgy or having brawls and rioting and looting, bullying people, gang banging in modern vernacular. Uh, This is group mischief. And remember, he's writing to a church using a soldier as an illustration of a soldier who took his armor off and began to engage in civilian affairs at night. And he immersed himself so much in the culture that the commanding officer had to come and wake him up to say, get dressed because a new day is dawning. And so we have to remember that as believers because we are in the Lord's army. But sometimes we engage in civilian affairs and we not only do it by ourselves, but sometimes we do it in a group. In other words, we act a fool with a group of fools. Exodus chapter 23, verse 2, God says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Now, that's just not for teenagers. But old agers also give in to temptation and peer pressure. And we do stuff in a group. We would never do alone, revelry. But it's also combined with drunkenness. And this is an intentional and habitual intoxication. Now, he's talking about walking right. And these things should not be a part of a Christian's walk or conduct or the way he or she lives their lives. But because he knows we're all in the process of sanctification and everybody isn't at the same place, some of us are a little slower or a little behind in the process of godliness And some of us are still compromising in the church at Rome and in the church in Davidson County with these kinds of things. So he just can't expect or think that nobody's struggling with this stuff because it's in every church. And if we testify, it was in some of us. But this is an intentional and habitual intoxication. So when you connect it with revelry, this is a group of people who get together to get drunk and cause trouble. That's not becoming of Christians. But don't you know when Christians have conventions in various cities, the vendors get excited when the Christians come to town. Because when the Christians come to town for woman thou art loose, when they come to town for man power. when they come to town for all these conferences, they know Folk going to buy a whole bunch of alcohol when them Christians come. They know, and the prostitutes on the street know, the Christians are coming. The people in the hotels know, we'll get to it in a minute, that the porno uh, tabs are going to go up when the Christians come. No wonder, Jesus said, when salt has lost its saltiness, it's only good to be walked on by the world. We've lost our witness because we've lost our holiness. Oh Pastor, move on. I'll move on when I'm finished. Proverbs. Proverbs 23. This is not against drinking alcohol. This is against Christians getting drunk on alcohol. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 29, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Or like one who lies at the top of the mass saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? That's alcohol abuse. And for a Christian, our intoxicant should not be alcohol. Our intoxicant should be the Holy Spirit. So Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine. Why? This leads to dissipation or acting a fool. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. So when I'm filled with the Spirit, he will do for me what alcohol cannot do. Some people turn to alcohol to get courage. But we just saying today, I don't need to fear anyone or anything. Why? Because the Lord is my strength. The Holy Spirit gives me courage. Some dudes will never talk to a girl unless they got a little bit of courage juice in their veins. No, 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 no. Get filled with the Holy Ghost, then ask that girl out for a a date. Come on now, you don't need to drink something first. Submit to the spirit of God. Let him fill you up because I promise you, he will change how you walk. Rather than walking crooked, you'll start walking straight. (laughs) Rather than having red eyes, you'll have eyes full of light. Rather than uttering just stupid stuff with your mouth, you'll speak righteousness and godliness out of your mouth. So we got to submit to the spirit of God and not to the spirit of alcohol. People who walk in revelry and drunkenness walk into every church. Now some of us need to ask the question: Is the pastor speaking about me this morning? Is he speaking about me? And if the Lord is talking to you, He's just not talking to hear Himself talk. He's talking to you, giving you another opportunity as a Christian to get that thing right. And for some of us, we need to stop claiming Christian liberty because it's obvious we can't handle Christian liberty to walk, because to drink, because every time we drink, we get drunk. So some of us need to step back and say, let me stop playing with this thing. It runs in my family as far as alcohol abuse. So Paul said, if we're going to walk right, let's deal with this alcohol. Then the second couplet is lewdness and lust. Lewdness and lust. is about to get quiet in the house of God. He says in verse 13, not in lewdness and lust. Oh, my goodness. NIV uses the word sexual immorality for lewdness. The New American Standard Bible uses sexual promiscuity for the word lewdness. But the King James Version comes along, 1611, and uses the word chambering. <laughs> Chamber? How many King James folk I got in here? Raise your hand. Y'all figure if it was good enough for Moses, it's good enough for you, Right? You ain't letting go of that King James, baby. (laughs) But the King James says chambering in that passage. It comes from the Greek word koite, and it literally means a bed, a bedroom, or a couch for lying down. You see, the bedroom was known as the chamber. So that's why it's translated chamber in the King James. And kings would keep eunuchs to watch over their harem, uh, and they would be called chamberlains, because the king didn't want somebody watching over his bedroom uh, who had plumbing intact. So he he had to grab people without plumbing to have them watch up. And 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 in the Book of Esther, they are called in the King James. Chamberlains, eunuchs, chamberlains. So, speaking of the bed, a chamber pot was a commode in the bedroom back in the day. Chambermaids clean bedrooms and bathrooms in homes, and even today in some hotels, they're called chambermaids. Chambering or lewdness is going to bed with someone that you are not married to. I went all that way to just bring it right down the street. Drop the mail off at your house. Chambering or lewdness is going to bed with someone that you're not married to. That is committing sexual immorality or promiscuity. We watch the young people line up this morning and they look good. We're praying for them and we always say, many of us who are older, man, I wish that we had had something like that in my church when I was growing up. Because had I had some of that, I might not have. but, But you know, we always say. But guess what? The purity ceremony doesn't end with the students. It's just not for them. Because we made vows saying that let them watch us. Let them follow us as we follow Christ Impurity. So let's buckle up here because some of you may not like what I'm about to say. But Cleon backed the pacer up because we're going to get out of here, all right. We're going to make it out. So, what this means, Strong Tower, the world doesn't like this, but the only sex that God sanctions is sex between a man and a woman who are married. To each other. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. God does not sanction any other kind of sex. No matter who it is between. And no matter how much they love each other. And no matter what the courts say. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all. And the bed, quite, undefiled. So the marriage bed is undefiled. Meaning that any other bed where sex is occurring is defiled. And then it goes on to say, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Sex between single consulting adults is not sanctioned by God. Especially if they claim to be Christians. Sex between teenagers is not sanctioned by God. Homosexual sex is not sanctioned by God. Engaged but not married sex is not sanctioned by God. Because you know how we do. We, we, we about to get married. When y'all going to get married? Uh, 2019. Divorced sex is not sanctioned by God. You know what some of us do. We get divorced. We don't date anybody. We don't marry. But we keep in contact for the kids. And every now and then. Wait a minute. I thought y'all got divorced. Now you want to get spiritual. Well, God never really recognized our divorce Even though the courts gave us a divorce, God still sees us as married. (laughs) Y'all, tell you we're talking about that flesh next week. That flesh will lie to you. (laughs) Based on Hebrews 13.4 and many other passages, those who choose to go outside of God's parameters for sex will suffer the consequences in this life and even in the one to come. Whether you are single or married, Straight or gay, young or old, male or female, bisexual or transgender. God says the only sex He sanctifies and sanctions and blesses is sex between a man and a woman who are married to each other. What the world calls natural, God calls lewd. When I lost my virginity in the 12th grade, that wasn't natural. That was lewdness, lewdness. Ephesians 5.3, Paul, a single man, he was on this thing. He said, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. In other words, as you're modeling God, the stuff of the world that involves sexual promiscuity, that doesn't fit as you try to model who God is. What does fit is godliness and virtue and purity and innocence. That's what reflects the God you model. But that other stuff doesn't fit us. It shouldn't. I have friends who tell me, man, at our church, our pastor plays and prays on the women. Other churches will say the priests prays on the children. And again, we wonder why the world doesn't want to listen to us talk about Jesus. I know it's tough because the first thing that was noticeably affected when Adam and Eve sinned was the fact that they were naked. They saw that before they even saw they were separated from God. So we have all inherited from them not only a disposition to sin and be separated from God and experience death, but we've also inherited from them a marred sexuality. But I know a redeemer and his name is Jesus. He not only redeems the soul, but he'll redeem everything about you. And he'll change your ways so that you can walk right. Hear this, temptation and participation are two different things. We all get tempted, but we all don't need to participate in what we're being tempted by. So even if you have same-sex attraction, don't let that turn you away from God, even though God's people may turn you away. No, no, no. Temptation, desire may be there, but you don't have to do the deed. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ, and you understand what the will of God is. And You're not going to try to change the word to suit your proclivities. Pastor, that's tough. But again, he called us to carry a cross and not a mattress. (laughs) Wait a minute, Pastor. He told that guy in John 5, pick up your mattress and go and tell him. Man, that was to testify about being healed. He didn't call a Christian to carry a comfortable mattress around. I just want to be comfortable as I follow. No, he said, pick up your cross. And that means I got to die to stuff that I want, especially when stuff that I want ain't right. Oh, man. Oh, man, this is good. I wish more people got loving truth communicated to them. Because they think in their freedom, as they just indulge their flesh, they think that they're free, but really they're enslaved and they're being killed by the stuff that they're exposing themselves to commit. And I know these people are in your family, they're in my family. We must love them and love them well. Then he gets into lust, and I'll stop here. (laughs) Sensuality, shameless excess, and the absence of restraint. Remember, he's linking them together. There is uh, uh, chambering and lust. And this lust is not the normal word used for lust in the New Testament. This is a different word, and it speaks of an uninhibited and unabashed kind of sexual immorality, debauchery and lasciviousness. Translated today, that just means you are a freak. you're a freak now people who walk in lewdness and lust walk into God's church every day and we say come on in and rather than turning to your neighbor and saying is that you again you ask Lord is that me And if that's me, he's exposing that into your heart so that you might repent today. Turn, change, walk right today. People don't want to hear you talk about Jesus and your walk doesn't reflect Jesus. You're ushering people into the so-called kingdom already through compromise. Girl, come to church with me. Well, weren't we just out last night doing some unspeakable stuff? Girl, come to church with me. Something doesn't equate. I'm going to finish this. Uh, The final couplet, strife and envy. These two sins cause deep partisan divisions in the church of Corinth. Strife and envy. The fornicators who are in process of saying, thank you for moving on, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you for moving on to the next one. Because in Hebrews 13, 4, he says fornicators and adulterers. So you got some married people doing stuff with other people they shouldn't be doing that they should only be doing with their spouse. Right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. Strife and envy. Strife is constant contention, bickering, arguing, fighting, and fussing. In every church, we got people like this. They, they fight about everything. Right. They are at war with you because they are at war with themselves. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, where do the fights come from? They come from within. You're fighting people because you are not at peace with yourself, which means you're not at peace with God. So you're fighting. You're putting other people down all the time. Strife has no place for tolerance, humility, peace, or love. But then also he says envy, which is a cousin to strife. In the Greek, this is the word "zelos," where we get zeal or zealous from, which can be a good thing. To have zeal for God. But in this context, it's negative. So that's when zealous, zealous, turns into jealous or jealous. Jealous, jealousy, or blind, selfish ambition, or having envy. This is when you envy someone in the church, whereby you become jealous of them in the church. This should not be a part of our walk, being jealous. So let's take a quick test. I'm going to take my seat. When other people get blessed in the church, are you happy for them or do you hate on them? I know it's 1204. Titans probably ain't going to win anyway. Hold on. Hold on. Somebody need this word. Somebody need this word. Game going overtime. You're not leaving. I'm staying. Church went in overtime a little bit. When other people get blessed, do you get upset? When that single person starts dating, are you happy for them? Or are you envious or jealous of them? When that single person gets married. Can you legitimately be happy for them? Because if we're not happy for them, that means we're not again happy with where God has us, which means we're not content. And when I'm not content, I'm going to compare. And when I start comparing, I'm going to start coveting what you have. But it takes me back to, am I content with what he's doing with my life? And maybe it's a test because if I can't be happy for you, Maybe God is saying, well, your blessing is being denied right now because the test is, can you be happy for somebody else? Can you do unto others the way you want others to do to you? Because when you get something like a job or a raise, or a car, you want everybody to be happy for you. You don't want them hating on you, so don't you hate on somebody else when God blesses them. It destroys churches. Man, when I got my doctorate degree, I found out who some of the haters were. <laughs> Lord, you'd have thought my degree came to me gold, diamond-laced. You know, just, it's a doctor's degree. It's a pe- piece of paper. But other folks started looking at me funny. Oh, boy, for real? That's what our friendship was about. When, when somebody has that child, you and your husband are trying to have a child, and then somebody has a child, and then Dick this, they can have a child out of wedlock. They ain't even married, and they have a child. You're like, God, we're in your will. How can we have a child, and they're having a child? Then you start envying and putting down other people. When other people start getting in shape. You know these people. Eight o'clock on Facebook. Here I am at the gym. Twelve o'clock at Facebook. Here I am drinking a green shake. Every day, every day. I'm going to tell you, I get mad at some of them (laughs) folks. I'm like, I know I need to go to the gym. And then you look at a brother like, man, that brother look good. That brother done slimmed up. You start becoming envious, no God, like get your butt in the gym. You don't have to envy somebody else's progress. Be happy for them that they are getting fit. Stop comparing on everything. People get envious because the pastor asked this person for help, but didn't ask that person for help. Why he asked him? Why he asked her? Maybe that don't happen at this church, but it happened at a lot of other churches, (laughs) y'all. Envious, Paul said. There may be people who walk into your church with strife and envy, But they shouldn't have to stay that way. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 27.4, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? You don't need to be jealous of anyone else. Be thankful for what you have in God. Well, Paul lets us know that if we're going to walk right, we have to be intentional to not participate in certain actions and he links them together and you can see them there again this week as you study the word but Paul often makes a connection between godly conduct and the coming of Christ over and over again in his writings an additional encouragement to holiness is the fact that Jesus is coming The first motivation to holiness should be because I love God and he loves me. The second motivation is because he's coming and I want to be found pleasing in his sight. Well, Peter, he had the same kind of mindset. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, here it is, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What kind of person should I be knowing that Jesus is coming? What kind of person? How should you conduct your life knowing that Jesus is coming and he can come at any time? So Paul is saying, Peter is saying, because he's coming, it ought to motivate us to walk, right? I get to do a lot of chapels for sports teams, especially football teams, professional college, high school. And in some locker rooms, before the team goes out of the locker room and onto the field, there's a sign that hangs over the door in many programs They'll have a sign over the door as they're leaving the locker room, going out to the field to play. And the sign will say, play like a Raider today. Play like a Bronco today. Play like a Colt today. Or play like a champion today. And when they walk out, they'll touch the thing because what they're trying to do is let me act out on the field what I am. I'm going to play because there's a standard that Tigers and Broncos and Colts and champions have. So on the field, let me act like, walk like what I am. So as you leave here today, God is saying, walk like a champion today. Walk like a new creation today. Walk like the salt of the earth today. Walk like a disciple today. And watch people say, can I buy into who you're representing from your life? Let's stand, everyone. Let's stand. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for help We can't do this by ourselves. We surely can't. But Lord, it begins with a change of heart. And because you're in us, you've changed our heart. You've given us a new want to. Lord, it grieves us when we grieve your spirit when we fail you. But we thank you for mercy. Not only that cleanses us, but mercy that also motivates us unto godliness. Lord, I know somebody needed to hear something said today. And you spoke, Lord, so that they might live a life that's pleasing to you. So starting with me, to everyone in this congregation, Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us for when we haven't modeled you well, when we haven't walked right. But I thank you for another opportunity to walk in the spirit, to walk upright. Bless this body, Lord God, to be a holy body, a holy church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you again for our students and what they modeled for us today. And help us, Lord, to model to them what you expect, that together we may model to the world what we're supposed to walk like. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that is at work within us. To him be all the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people say, amen. Come on, give Jesus one more praise. Come on. He's worthy. He's worthy. Amen.